0: Welcome to The Connection, a weekly radio program where we share our experiences and expertise with stories of caring, courage, and change right here in Connecticut. Listen to learn about needed resources to improve your well-being and transform your life. Now, here are the hosts of The Connection, Lisa demattis Lapore and Ann Baldwin.
1: And hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of The Connection. I'm Ann Baldwin, President and CEO of Baldwin Media and one of your co-hosts. And I am Lisa DeMattis-Lapori, CEO from The Connection, and I am one of your co-hosts. So how's it going? You had some uh, dealings with your mom recently, everything all right? Yes, it was really horrific. There's, you gotta, this whole healthcare system is something else. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing to me. You know, you have to be there to advocate, right? You know, yeah, my mom is elderly
2: and um, she was getting out of the um, rehab after knee surgery and unfortunately, fell when we got home and hit her head and passed out. And it was, we know when you're on the other side Mm -hmm. and you are needing help and support, I have never seen such unprofessional behavior in my life. And it was so horrendous. I mean, I was verbally abused by the social worker in the hospital. It was a nightmare. I could never, I can't even imagine someone else who really doesn't even know the system or
1: have tools or anything to reach out it was really it was terrible you know and I hold you. I hope you're really going to hold this person accountable because it's it's absolutely ridiculous you know what goes on so well hopefully you got her in the right place now and you yes can, let's hope you hope. know and and also you know my dad's down the street there's, there's pluses and then there's minuses with that, but yours is all the way in Florida, your mother, So and you're an only child. It's Yeah, it's very difficult, but I also know that, um, can you imagine
2: folks that don't have an advocate no. or don't have anyone for them no. and have to manage a system? And, it, you know, again, it, it's just another reminder of how important it is to... Uh, when you're providing services like we do with The Connection, to always keep in mind that the person that you're dealing with is really in dire straits and needs help and assistance and really you need to be supportive and helpful. And even if you're thinking in your head something negative, you never verbalize it. Right.
1: (laughs) Well, my weekend was, uh, let's see, I started doing dad down the street, 85 years old, did a dump run, took his old bed out. Then I had to go uninstall a lift chair to get him up to his second floor apartment. Didn't have a power drill. Had to call the ex-husband to bring the power drill, which is always interesting. Got it out. Took it back to his place. Put it in. Then had to go back to the ex-husband's house to get his bed that he's going to donate, that he's donating to my dad. Did another dump run. And what do I get in the end? Grief for my father. I mentioned one thing and he could go, keep running your mouth. And you know what? I opened up. Like it was nobody's business. And even the guys working with me goes, your dad talks to you like that? I go, yeah, that's part of my problem. And you wonder why he's identified as a trigger in my sobriety. But anyway, I won't get into the details because you know what? I've let it go. Good for you. Let it go. So I'm so excited. We've got a great guest on the program today, Brandon Lee. And Brandon, welcome to the program. Welcome, Brandon.
0: Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me.
1: And welcome to the world of recovery. So let's tell hey. tell our listeners a little bit about. You've got Connecticut roots, but now you're in Venice Beach.
0: Dan. I know. I, I love my time in Connecticut. Why, why
2: so. didn't we fly out there to? We should have yes. flied out there to interview we you. We should have done a remote. That's what I'm
0: saying I don't know. Y'all should like check out my Facebook page because I took the most amazing pictures yesterday and okay we're going to be in the 70s this week so y'all more than welcome to come out here and, <laughs> and record this show from southern be California. careful
1: what you wish for yeah
0: exactly <laughs> so, so
1: tell us a little bit about what happened brandon
0: yeah god so i was um i worked at nbc 30 connecticut news god that was back in 2004 2005 2006 um and god i was definitely in my drug addiction back then. It wasn't towards the very end of it because I ended up getting sober in 2010. And I left to go to Boston uh, from Hartford in about 2007. And when I was in Connecticut, I just was, I was definitely in my active drug addiction and I wasn't a big drinker. So drugs were my choice. And at the time, my drug of choice was something called GHB. Uh, It's also known as the liquid roofies or the date rape drug. It's just a liquid that you'd pour into a drink and you'd get really messed up. And so that was like my drug of choice while I was living in Connecticut. And, you know, like so many good addicts, right, so many good addicts, I was able to maintain a professional life while also maintaining a good drug life and was really able to prop up both lives for so many years um, because I could at that time. And was just a master of manipulation, right? I could, I could make my friends think that I was super successful or I could have viewers think that I was super successful. They had no idea what really happened when we signed off the air that night. Because when we got off on the air, when work was done, that is truly like when my real play began. And I kept it hidden from my friends and my family and coworkers. No one, no one ever had a clue
1: wow so what what did you do with that how did you seek help or did you go to a rehab yeah what what precipitated so how
0: did it come crashing down yeah Yeah. first off like this is so typical like we always laugh at our war stories because if you can't laugh at it now like then life would just be tragic (laughs) right like one of the stories I always share and it's actually coming up in a book that I just wrote that's going to be released in June and it goes back to the story in my time in Connecticut and um I was given this opportunity to anchor, and that's all I like. I always was begging for a chance to anchor, and I was going to be anchoring with Janet Peckinpah uh, that night on the five o'clock news. It's kind of an old Connecticut news name. Um, yeah. And I remember we were five minutes from <laughs> five minutes from going on the air, and I needed Visine, and so I grabbed Visine out of my um, out of my briefcase at the desk. And I put drops in my eyes, and all of the sudden I screamed. I mean, I screamed in pain. It was like acid eating away my eyes. What I didn't, what I did not remember was that that's how I hid my GHB. <sighs> I hid my GHB in Visine bottles, so that if I oh went to a club no. or went to an airport, it wouldn't get detected. But usually, like. I would mark the bottle with like a black marker so I would know, and I didn't to this one. And I literally poured GHB into my eyes five minutes before we went on the air. I ran off the set, (laughs) I ran off the set, ran to the bathroom, and the the technicians, the technical guys at work, they ran and got their, you know, they were flushing out my eyes. My suit is soaked in all that washer fluid. They rushed me to the hospital and they put these acid strips in my eyes. And that was for the first time I was honest. Like, the doctor goes, what happened? And this was the first time in my life that I was brutally honest. Why? Because I was vain. I didn't want to lose my eyesight. (laughs) Right. So I told the doctor, I'm like, listen, doctor, nobody knows this. But I had GHB in the Visine bottle. GHB is a drug. And the doctor's face, I still remember it. He was, like, trying to compute, like, is this real? Is this guy, is this news guy, like, really telling me that he just put – the date rape drug into his eye. And it's acid, and it was burning it. So he did a test oh dress, and sure God. Enough, it was like acid. Thank God they saved my eyes. But that was my time in Connecticut. I went on to Boston and was definitely drugging in Boston. It was getting bad. And then I moved back home to L.A. when I was working at KTLA, and that's when it got really bad. And I had stayed away from drugs like meth and crack and heroin because I had friends, and I saw what it did to their lives, and I was like, well, I don't want to be that messy. So I never did those things. But when I was at KTLA, I would get high in the parking lot after work, knowing that the drug would take about 10 minutes or so to kick in. And so we'd get off the air, I'd go to the parking lot, and I would do my GHB. And that gave me about 10 minutes to drive to these like brothels because I was dealing with sex addiction at the same time. And so the moment I got high on drugs, it would fuel my sex addiction. And so I would go to these really seedy brothels in L.A., And I was driving there at like 11 o'clock at night, and I woke up at 4.30 in the morning on the 110 freeway underneath an overpass in Hollywood. I was in my truck. My truck was in the emergency lane. The hazard lights were on, and my driver's seat was fully reclined. And I woke up at 4.30, and I'm like, how the heck, what happened? You know, it was a total blackout because GHB would black you out. You don't remember, but I look back now and I'm like, okay, that was, that was my higher power like that. And I didn't have spirituality. I was anti-God, anti-spirituality, anti-everything. Like I had a real anger and resentment toward my faith. And so um, eventually I look back at that time. I'm like, okay, my higher power was protecting me and saving me from hurting somebody else and also killing myself. <clears throat> and then a week later, I was at a brothel and I overdosed on drugs. I did meth for the first time, and some guy handed me a meth pipe, and I did it. I eventually overdosed um, because as a good addict, like, it wasn't enough. And I went to the hospital, Hollywood Presbyterian, and I had fallen down at this brothel, and I cracked my head open. And I was in a coma for about three days, um, came out of the coma, and was like confused as to why I was in the hospital. The neurosurgeon came down and goes, like, listen, You've had an accident. We have to do brain surgery tonight. There's bleeding in your brain. And <laughs> this is such an addict. I looked at the doctor, the neurosurgeon. And I said, doctor, I said, can you understand me? And he goes, yeah. I said, perfect, because I, under- I-, I-, I know what's happening. I need to leave. And he's like, you cannot leave. And I said, no, I have to be at work tonight. <laughs> he's like, you're not going to work. You're bleeding in your brain. Like, you could die. It's this clock. And I said, Doctor, I'm leaving and you cannot keep me here. And I said, so just have the nurse bring me my clothes. And the nurse looks at me and the nurse goes, you didn't come here with any clothes.
2: Oh, my God.
0: And I was like, oh, man. And so I said, well, I'm leaving anyway. And so I got up in the hospital robe, you know, with those little socks with the little oh yeah. things on the bottom. Oh yeah. So here I am, <laughs> sign myself out. Against Medical Advice, which, by the way, I still have that form. Signed myself out against Medical Advice, sort of walking down Sunset Boulevard back to my car. And um, got inside my truck and immediately opened up the glove compartment, got out my crack pipe, and I started smoking crack. And um, the next thing I know, I don't remember anything besides smoking, lighting up that pipe. And the next thing I know is I woke up four days later in a coma, at the same hospital in the same ER, and at that time I woke. I finally woke up and I took this gasp of breath, and I will never forget. It was this beautiful Indian um, woman doctor, and she was the head ER doctor at the time, and I, that was the first face I saw when I came out of my coma, and I remember it. And she took a big sigh of relief. She looked up toward the ceiling and she just said, "Thank you, God, for saving this one."
1: Wow! And wow.
0: I was in a hospital room by myself. I was sobbing and crying, and this this little black nurse woman, she was so kind and so sweet, and she came over, she grabbed my hand and she goes, "Do you believe in God?" And I said, "No." And she goes, "That's okay because God still believes in you." And she handed me a pamphlet, and it was just a list of AA meetings. And she goes and she circled one of them, and she goes, "This is my church." And she goes, "They have an AA meeting there tonight, and when you get released, I really urge you to go." And so I went that night and I went to that AA meeting and I walked in and there was guys holding like this fish bowl and I'm like, what is that? And it's raffle tickets. And I immediately did a 180. I was like, heck no, I ain't doing this. I walked out and these two guys ran after me and they said, yo, 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 man, come back, come back, come back. What's your name? And I said, Brandon. And they said, what are you here? And I said, I don't know, man. I think I'm in the wrong place. Like a nurse sent me here. They're like, "Oh, no, 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 you're absolutely in the right place here. Take a ticket number and just go sit down." And I did. And I, at that meeting was my first AA meeting, and there was this guy, and he was a speaker, it was a speaker meeting. and this guy was sharing his story, and I was like, "Wow, I was like, "Wow, this guy I, this guy's kind of sharing some of my story. I'm like, "Whoa, what's happening?" He ended up he stopped, and there was five minutes left, and the, the leader of the meeting said, "Okay, well, we're going to choose one raffle ticket, and that person's going to share." I'm sitting in the back of the meeting. And they start reading off the numbers. And the dude sitting next to me looks over and goes, Buddy, they just called your number. And I was like, I ain't going up there. And he goes, Yeah, you are. I said, No, I'm not. He raised his hand and said, Hey, man, you just chose this guy's number. I walk up. Mind you, I just got out of the hospital of a coma. I walk up to the front of this room. I can't even say what I said because this is a radio show. I just said, Hi, my name is Brandon. And I'm really. Yep. up, mm-hmm. And I'm going to die, and I don't want to die. And I just started sobbing. At the end of that meeting, I'm standing there, all I do, wanted to do was run out of that room. A line of people, a line of people came up to me, <clears throat> wanting to shake my hand. And I'll never forget there was this woman. She goes, "I have 20 years sober. I haven't been to a meeting in a year. You're exactly the message I needed to hear tonight. Mind you. Made no sense to me. I'm like, why are these people clapping their hands and cheering for me? I'm like, I almost just died, and here I am crying in front of all you people. And these guys came up to me and they said, "What are you doing tomorrow at 7 a.m.?" I said, "I don't know." And they are go, "Perfect. We're going to pick you up. You're going to go play softball. You look like an athletic guy." So I played softball the next morning at 7 a.m., which turned into a noon meeting that day, which turned into a 7 a.m. meeting, you know, the next day. I didn't know what these guys were doing, but they were showing me. How they stay sober? I didn't realize that because they never preached anything to me. But these guys looked like me. They had tattoos. They were athletic, and they were laughing, and they were smiling. And I'm like, these guys are all sober, and they look like they're having a good time. And so over time, I just stuck with them. I never went to treatment. I never went to rehab. I never went to counseling. I just went to my first AA meeting. And And, and then that shows you too. Ever since that day. Wow. And
1: that's so. How much time have you got, Brandon?
0: So I just celebrated nine years. Wow. Um, Congratulations. February 22nd, 2010.
1: Wow. I'm celebrating eight this eight years this month. That's, That's fantastic. So Isn't it That's great? so amazing.
0: Congratulations.
1: Thank you. So here you are, this good-looking, well-dressed, you know, physically fit <laughs> news anchor. Um, That's debatable. <laughs> well, I don't know. People need to go to your website. How can people <laughs> reach you? Because you have your own podcast. You said you've just I written do. a book.
0: I do. And, man, I'm telling you, I have to tell you, it's I went into it with zero expectations. I just wanted to do it really for me and to try and help as many people as I could. Right. And um, anyway, my podcast, uh, it's called Escaping Rock Bottom. It's on iTunes. It's on Spotify. Oh, wow. It's on my website, escapingrockbottom.com, YouTube channel. And it's a podcast that's all about people's story uh, and their struggles of addiction. But these are all people who have at least two years sober. They're sharing their struggles, but they also have stories of inspiration and hope. Good. And I have to just tell you two guests that are on this, that are on the show. And these people reached out to me because the world of podcasts and social media, as you both know, things spread like wildfire. I got an email two weeks ago from this woman, Tanya Brown. Huh? I don't know a Tanya Brown. She goes, "Listen, I just watched your podcast because I saw it on a Facebook feed." And then she goes, "I'm going to explain who I am." She goes, "I'm the younger sister of Nicole Brown Simpson." Wow. And when O.J. murdered my sister, it sent me spiraling into a deep depression and food addiction. She goes, it's something I've never spoken about, and I've seen your podcast, and I want to share my story with you. The next day, I get an email from a guy, Jeremy Jackson. He goes, you don't know who I am. I just saw your podcast. He goes, I was an actor on the show Baywatch. I was Hobie Buchanan. I was David Hasselhoff's son.
2: Oh, my he God. Goes, that's amazing.
0: I became a serious meth addict. I had two years sober. He goes, I just, I'm floored by your podcast. I want to be on your show and I want to share my story. And this week I'm interviewing the lead singer of Corn, like the hard rock. Yeah. right. Heavy That's metal right. Yes. Band, yep. Also sober. And it just goes to show that there are stories out there that need to be told, you know, and there's people out there who you would never assume struggle with addiction. And my whole purpose with the podcast is let's talk about it. Let's end this stigma. I'm a news anchor. You tune into me every night. You think I have a perfect life? That's what made me go public, and is that these viewers were emailing me saying, God, I wish I had your life, and that ate at my soul because I'm like, these people have a false impression of who I am. Yep. And I'm like, no, you don't wish you had my life. Mm -hmm. You wish you had maybe what I built for myself now, but you have no idea what I went through, and that hurt me. And I'm like, no you need to know what I've gone through. And I said, because I know all of you at home have struggled and you need to know that I've struggled too and I don't have a perfect life.
1: Let me ask you and this, Brandon. So
0: that's really what motivated it.
1: That, that's, that's amazing. So you were at KTLA. I think that's still the number one news market, right, in the country?
0: It is. So well, L.A. is the number two news market. New York's number one, but okay. KTLA is the number one station in Los Angeles.
1: So, did they know that you had drug issues, or what happened to that career?
0: No, they didn't. I was able to keep it from them, and I'm sure some of them are going to be very shocked. Um, you know, when they read the book when it comes out. Um, and but you know, the crazy thing, Anne, is that the you know I was filling in. I was a reporter, but then I, they were having me anchor on the weekend mornings. And, you know, what just happened with their weekend morning anchor was all over the news that he died um, in December from a drug overdose with crystal meth and GHB. Yeah. Chris Burroughs. Yeah.
2: Is it hard to – how did you obtain the GHB?
0: Yeah. So, so, okay, so it was really easy. It was called alloycleaner.com. It's it's non-existent anymore, so I'm not giving any, like, druggies any information to go out and get a drug. So the website's been shut down. It's all been shut down. But back then, it was totally legal to buy from Europe. So I used to go online and buy it from the UK, um, and it was this company that had a fake facade called AlloyCleaner.com, and I used to order it by the gallon.
1: Oh my god, that's unbelievable! Oh my god. So did you decide to put your TV career aside and do this full time, or what do you? What do you? I know up-
0: this is okay. So this is the crazy thing, and I'm totally opening. And I'm totally now open to share it. But I left my job in Arizona, and I loved. I love the people I work with, and I love my general manager. I still speak to my general manager um, in Arizona all the time. I, um, I did have a job offer. I got a job offer to be the main anchor here in Los Angeles um, at a CBS affiliate. And we were in the middle of contract negotiations. I'd auditioned twice. I was going to you know, eventually sit next to Pat Harvey and be, be here at CBS, too. In L.A., and this is coming home for me, this would have been my dream job, right, anchoring in your hometown that you grew up in, in Los Angeles. And so I left, and I moved here to L.A., and I was going to my agent's office, and my agent told me, he goes, well, pack your bags because you're moving home to L.A., buddy. And so I did, and I came here, and a network executive in New York City uh, found out that I was writing a book about addiction. I was, you know, doing a podcast, and motivational speaking because that's what i do i spend my time doing motivational speaking to help inspire others get sober and he called the la station and told them that they could not hire me
2: oh my god oh wow
0: and so i was devastated i was hurt but i look back and this is my response if you see that somebody who's a recovering addict nine years clean i'm not in my active addiction are you kidding me? I'm going on nearly a decade. The sole purpose of my life, this is what threw them. They were upset that a media blogger quoted me, and I was quoted in an article saying, my, my soul's purpose here on Earth is not just to read a teleprompter. My soul's purpose is to help other people. And that right there is what got me that job taken away from me. They said, no, we need somebody who's fully dedicated just to us.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: And I... Wow. This is how I've now come to see it. You know what? CBS, you don't deserve me. If you can't accept where I've been in my past and who I am now and where I am going in the future, you don't deserve me at my best. If you can't accept what I did in my past. And I said, but this should really be seen as a strength, not a weakness.
1: Absolutely.
0: And this is of the stigma uh, that yep. still exists in our mm-hmm. society, that right. I am hellbent. I am hellbent, even if that makes me blacklisted from every news organization. I do not care anymore. Because my whole purpose now is ending the stigma. Because recovering addicts who have a lot of time in sobriety, these are absolutely the people you want on your staff. Because at our worst, we are liars, we are cheaters, and we are thieves, and we are manipulators. At our best, we use our defects of character and we use it for good.
2: True. So we are honest
0: people. We don't lie because I don't want to have to say, I'm sorry. I don't want to have to call you to make an event. So I'm going to do everything in my power to treat you as good as possible and to be as honest with you as possible. That recovering addicts are a strength. And here's my thing, Annie. and you'll understand this because you're in news. And this is what I told them. I said, you know what the problem is? You want to know why every CBS O&O o across this country is in dead last place? Is because they're still hiring people on a formula that worked in the 80s and 90s. They want you to be on social media, but they want you to pretend that you have a perfect life. Yes. And here's my answer to that. And if one day I ever run a news station, I'm going to encourage my anchors to open up about some of their battles and some of their struggles. And because you know what? I'm a recovering addict and I struggle with addiction, but you know how many other people have loved ones still struggling from addiction? It makes you more endearing and makes you more authentic and makes you connect well. When people know because there's no viewer at home or there's no radio listener that's listening to you every Sunday – that has a perfect life. No one has a perfect life. and listeners do not connect to perfection. They connect to people who can, who they can relate to who have struggled and walked in their shoes.
1: Well, you know what? It's interesting that you say that, Brandon. And, and Lisa and I talk about, you talked about the stereotypes. You, you're, you're so spot on about that. But, you know, the other component is, you know, I always was nervous because I was a public figure here in Connecticut. I was the news anchor at the NBC affiliate for a long, long time. And I really questioned once I got into recovery and once I got sober, whether or not I wanted to go public with my recovery. Right. And, you know, someone told me, someone else in recovery said, wait a while give it some time and I did I gave it two years and then I went public with it and and I'm so glad I did and I've got nothing but positive feedback and people have embraced me I have helped other people and you know there's people just like us out there dealing with something nobody's life is freaking perfect and if you if you think it is you're fooling somebody
2: no no one no one's I mean if you know I it just it's similar but obviously different but it still talks about you know people's image of you know um if you wear a uniform Form, or if you're, you know, have a certain job, or, you know, you stand for something that, you know, Miss America pageant, oh, you know, you can't have a tattoo, you can't have this, you have to be <laughs> this person. The whole yep. thing is just so outrageous. And we never, you know, do we look at people's character? Do we look at the way people treat other people? Do we look? How about the way people give back to others and their value in the world? To me, that speaks a thousand more times than, you know what, all this other stuff that people focus on. And you are such an amazing example of such a success story. And... You have, I'm really inspired. I'm Brandon. I can't wait to read your book.
1: I know. So we're talking with Brandon Lee all the way from Venice, California. And if you get a chance, folks, you know, check out his podcast. It's Escaping Rock Bottom. All you got to do is a Google search for that. As he mentioned, he's got some, you know, high... High-profile people on there, regular people, telling their stories of what happened, but more importantly, stories of inspiration and hope. Because that's what those of us that are, you know, recovering addicts need. Right? We need to know that there is hope, and uh, and it's a tough road to follow. It really is. It's a tough road to hope because it's not easy. And Brandon, I just so admire you. When I saw your podcast, and I was searching for resources, and there you were, and I'm like, hey, I know that guy
0: that's
1: amazing so and i've got to ask you a question i want to be on your podcast too man
0: oh this is definitely going to happen and you know what you know what we're going to do what um i'm actually going to go on a road trip and i'm going to take the podcast on tour so it'll be a book tour but i'm going to drive around the country i'm going to hit all these media markets that i used to work in
2: fantastic
0: Um, and so i'll be in hartford connecticut eventually um hopefully in june and I'm going to bring my podcast on the road, and it's going to, we're going to travel across this country as I promote the book and promote addiction and recovery. We're going to tell real people's stories across this country to show the world that we really have an epidemic of the opioid crisis in this country, and it's just going to be traveling the world to see how much really connects us as a country through something so dark. Um, but when I get to Hartford, Connecticut, I will absolutely have on my podcast equipment. We will shoot an amazing episode together Great. and be able to really introduce you to all of my watchers and that's,
1: that's fantastic. And listen, man, I do I do public relations, so I'll help book your 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 stuff if you want
0: I might be in connection with you if you want some good service because work. absolutely I'll- yeah I'll do yeah. some service
1: work and we've also got a radio studio here right in New Britain and uh you know maybe we can even have you speak with some folks at the connection Lisa would love that I would love that so I mean there's just so- we're gonna put you to work and we're gonna we're gonna have some fun while you're here Brandon so we'll look forward to that keep us posted and we'd like to have you back on this show too Def- we definitely would. I will yes Thank
0: you so much you guys I love what you guys are doing and I love that you guys are getting it. The- message out there, and I appreciate both of you. Well, continued well, success
1: you. to you, my friend, and we'll stay in touch, all right?
0: All right, much love. Back your way in Connecticut. Stay warm. All right, thanks, thanks Brandon.
1: man. Oh, how wonderful is that? It's just so great to and I never knew. I never knew. I mean, I saw Brandon on television. People just don't know, but you don't know what you don't know. That's such
2: an inspiration. And I story. love it
1: that the 12-step program is what got him back on track, folks. And if you're listening, you know, sometimes that's all it takes is to walk into a room And to see how you will be embraced. And he says he hasn't looked back from there. So, I mean.
2: What a phenomenal story.
1: So, again, if you're uh, looking for more information on Brandon Lee, who was our guest today, um, just Google Escaping Rock Bottom. He's working on a book. That's going to be coming up next. And also, for more information on The Connection and their services, we invite you to go to The Connection, Inc., That's all one word, theconnectioninc.org. What a great show.
2: It's fantastic. Thank you all. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in every
1: Sunday for our show. We hope you enjoyed this edition. Absolutely. And we'll see you back here, same time, same place, on WTIC News Talk 1080. (laughs)
0: the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively Sports. The clock at 4. Doncic. The step back 3. You bitch. Music. You set
1: my world on fire. Yes,
0: and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.